Hello. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. So if you're new, um, please come up and say hi. Make sure you don't run away after service unless you chat with somebody first, whether on the welcoming team or one of the staff members or myself. Um, and you know what? I, I was thinking as Pastor Bill was going through the announcements, I'm pretty sure that you've never been to a church service where somebody hasn't stood up front and said, oh, we're so glad you're here. And it's like a, I don't know, it's like mandatory in a way. Like, and I think when, when Christians, and, and I'm talking about myself too, we, we overuse Christian language. It can easily just be something that you gloss over. But as Pastor Bill said, I, it kind of struck me in a different way. I'm very genuinely glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're here and we're able to do this and be together. And so... Um, from the pastoral staff and the leaders of this church. We're really, really grateful that y'all are here and that we're together, whether you're at home on YouTube or in here in the cinema. I believe that God has a very intentional and great purpose for you being here, and, um, and he clearly designed us to be together, and so it, it really is good to be together. Um, I'm not going to jump into the sermon right away today. Uh, as you know, if you've been around with us, we're in a season of just wanting to pray and pray and pray and pray more and pray different ways to pray about different things and to be constant in our prayer. And so we're not going to spend, you know, a half full half hour today. But before I go into the message, I do want to give us a little bit extra time to pray. And the way I'm going to do that is really simple. So firstly, I would love to invite all of us to just, I don't know, if you're not relaxed, I imagine you are because these are probably the comfiest church seats you've ever been in in your life. Um, just relax, maybe your body. You can close your eyes if you're ready. Maybe take a deep breath in the nose, out the mouth, like deep, deep breath to just kind of maybe settle yourself and just be present. So let's just sit in that for just a moment. Let's just be present. Maybe closing your eyes is a good idea to just remove any other distractions. And maybe you can just pay attention to your breath or your heartbeat or your body. Now, in this posture, I want to invite you to think of somebody in this room or somebody that you know is watching on YouTube at home. And let's just pray that God would speak to that person in a real loving and intimate and transformational way. And let's also pray for that person that the song that we sang, that God's goodness is running after us and that every single day of our lives he's been faithful, let's pray if that person struggles to believe that, that they would be hit by like a, like a Mack truck of that truth, a wall, a tidal wave of that truth. So let's just lift up a simple prayer. Whoever comes to your mind in this room or watching at home, God, speak to them powerfully. God, help their heart to know in its depths that you've been faithful every day of their life.
Lord, we believe that you love your children with all of your being. We believe that you chase after us. We believe that you are faithful. And we want to know it more in our bones. We want to experience the realities of it. We want to rejoice in it. We want to be grateful for it. And I pray that if there's anything potentially blocking or inhibiting any person in this room or at home from knowing that deep within them, God, I pray that you would remove all those things, those doors or, or speed bumps or blockades, and that they would be able to experience that in full and completely and holistically within them today. Thank you for your word. May we experience what the psalmist so often writes, that it is sweet to our lips like honey. And so we want to feast on that today. Thank you for allowing us to be here and for giving us the gladness of being able to worship in Sunday service together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a conversation that I find incredibly entertaining, it's one of my favoriteest combos to bring up, especially when I'm with people who are really close to each other, is to ask them what their first impressions were of each other, especially when it's like a romantic couple or uh, best friends. I, I love asking, hey, what were your first impressions of each other? And the reason why I find it so fun and entertaining is because usually it's incredibly negative. They usually had terrible uh, first impressions of each other that are negative, that are super judgmental. Um, and then somehow, you know, a, a really fun and beautiful relationship and close relationship blossoms from, like, these, like, serious judgments towards the other people. And yeah, I think I can think of my own life and some of my best friends, the like oldest friends, longest friends. We had terrible first impressions of each other. We did not like each other starting day one. And, you know, eventually we become best of best of friends. And my wife and I also had very not so great first impressions of each other. Um, mine was a lot nicer and hers was a lot meaner. So let me tell you what, what that was. So when I first saw her, what it, you know, the thought bubble in my mind was, this girl must be fresh off the boat. Um, I'm pretty sure she doesn't speak English and she must be visiting her family here for the summer or something. That was my impression of Unji. I, I just thought that she was not from America. Little did I know she was an American citizen. She was born in New Jersey. She spoke English fluently, and she was a resident of Massachusetts, so I was very wrong. Not so bad, right? No, that's not that mean. Unji's first impression of me, and I'm not making this up. She can attest to it. I, I have, you know, you can go to the source. Her first impression of me was, this guy is so sketchy. He's, such, he's definitely here just to hit on girls. He's probably a player. Little did this judgmental, non-English speaking girl know that one day I would date her and marry her and she would be the first person I ever dated in my life and the first girl that I ever kissed in my life. So she was very wrong. Sketchy player, right? Like so, 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 so wrong. What was your first impression of a best friend or maybe your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend? 
Thankfully, Unji and my inaccurate first impressions of each other were corrected, right? We finally met each other, we became friends, we started dating, and, and all this stuff happened. Eventually, we got to know each other for real and kind of push aside any impressions that were inaccurate or false or wrong. But there are plenty of relationships that we have, or maybe don't have and don't want to have, where we make a first impression about an individual and we're, we're done. We're stuck on it and it's cemented, and we're always going to believe that about that person and it never really gets corrected. Whether the depiction of that person in our minds is inaccurate or accurate, it really doesn't matter. We hold on to it. Now, what about Jesus? What were your first impressions about Jesus Christ? When you think about him, what descriptors fill your mind? What's his personality like? What do you think about him? Or maybe a better question, especially when it comes to our impressions of God, what does he think about you? Usually our impressions are a lot related when we're talking about God and our relationship with Jesus is how he thinks of me. See, today, my singular goal is to reconfigure all of our impressions about who Jesus Christ is, who he is. Some of us, it's just going to be a little bit of a tweak Maybe a little tune-up at the, at the garage, not like, you know, overhauling the cars, just you know, changing the oil. But some of us, it's going to be a complete overhaul. We have to scrap everything we got and start over. And we're going to do this not by going with our guts or even by our first impressions or maybe our impression of Jesus based upon a Christian or another person. We are going to take him at his word. What does he say about himself? We're going to stop listening to our own brains. We're just in our minds. We're going to listen to him. We're going to look at his word and see directly what he tells him, tells us about himself. So today, this is our last message in our series that we've titled, What God Says, God Reveals Himself to Us. And I'm going to very literally follow this sermon series title and subtitle because we're going to focus directly on what Jesus Christ himself says in his self-description And then we'll see what that directly reveals to us about Jesus, our Savior. And so this is what he says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a super, super popular passage of Scripture. I'm sure you've heard many sermons on it. You've definitely done a handful of devotions on it, and you've read it many times. I've memorized it years ago. I can recite it backwards. It's, it's so known and popular and used. But to share a little bit about what's been going on inside of me with this passage, it wasn't until actually the pandemic where I felt like I really understood the depth of what Jesus is saying. And it, it like opened my eyes. Like I, like I had never experienced Jesus before. I've been a Christian since I can, as long as I can remember. I went to seminary. I've been a pastor for a decade now. And I still was like, it wasn't until the pandemic where I read this text and I was like, man, like, like I had all these false impressions about Jesus. And I read this passage anew and I saw it anew. And I was like, man, I know him a little bit better now. And I want to credit this to this uh, credit this experience I had to this book um, by author and pastor Dane Ortland. 
So a lot of what I share today is going to be birthed from this book. The ideas and thoughts are going to be um, kind of challenged and grown and developed by this book. So if there's anything that I say today that you're like, oh, wow, like I never saw it that way either, or man, like that was convicting, or oh, that was a wise point. Don't, you don't come to me. I mean, we can talk, but like go to, go to the book, buy the book, chew on it, digest it, be challenged by it. And I, and I want to really, really encourage you to dig deeper because it's going to be important for the, your entire faith and your relationship with Jesus. So if anything that I say to you today is somehow moving or it, it pokes at you, just go to the book. I want to encourage you to read it. So, although every word in these verses is just jam-packed and it's important for give it its time and attention, for today's purposes, for this sermon series, and our goal of knowing what Jesus says and what he reveals to us, I want to just look at a few words that are super important, and they come from verse 29. And it's these words here. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly. See, looking at these two words intently all week, got like, it just, I don't know, I felt like there was like an earthquake underneath me. Like, I felt shook. See, Jesus is speaking about himself, and he self-identifies as gentle and lowly. And he chooses these words to communicate a number of things, right? That he's kind, that he's not rough, he's mild. Lowly means that you're humble in station, in character. He's meek. And obviously, I knew this about Jesus. I think everybody in this room, you, you know that. But just pause to think about it for a second. Of all the words he could have chosen to identify himself with, he says he's gentle and lowly. See, Jesus is communicating to us, to the church, to his disciples, that although he himself is God in the flesh, that he's still accessible, that you can approach him, that even a broken, stained sinner can approach him, that he's inviting, that he's not too grand for you to draw near. In fact, because of his nature, precisely because of his nature, he delights in it when sinners actually do draw near. He has this invitation, come to me. We often are running away while he's like, come, you can, you can come, it's okay. I'm gentle and I'm lowly, you can approach me. I'm inviting you to be near to me as I long to be near to you. And although gentle and lowly are so important, I'm like, man, like two words that he chose. He chose gentle and lowly. There's actually one other word that's maybe a little bit more significant, and it's just this one, it's heart. Because we're only going to understand the significance of Jesus saying that I am gentle and lowly if we fully understand the word heart. See, Matthew 11.29 is the only place in all of the Bible, believe it or not, where Jesus describes his heart directly. You can flip, 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 and you're not going to find another place where Jesus himself describes his heart. It's only here. And so only here in Scripture does Jesus say what his heart is, and the only two words he chooses to say are gentle and lowly. See, Pastor Tim Keller in New York, right? A lot of you have read his books. I feel like I've read every single one of his books. I've went to so many talks. So I can recite his script from the back of my mind because I've heard it so many times where he describes what biblical authors mean when they use the word heart because we use it differently, and that's not the point that they're trying to get across. When we use it, we say the heart is the seat of the emotions. Oh, my gosh, my, my heart is overjoyed. Or, oh, I had such a bad day. My heart is burdened. Or, or my girlfriend broke up with me. My heart is aching. 
Or, oh, guys, this is the best birthday party ever. My heart is so full. Like, when we use it that way, we're saying is the heart is, our, is the seat of our emotions. Right? We're describing. To say my heart is so full, we're describing what the, the organ that is the representative seat of our emotions. But the Bible actually never uses it that way. When the Bible uses it, the, the biblical author is saying the heart is the central command station for one's being. Others describe it as the motivation headquarters. Basically, the heart is a determining factor for why you do what you do, why you care about what you care about. So I think a lot of us, I can safely guess, are science nerds in here. It's like the nucleus. The nucleus is a set control center of the cell. And the analogy would be the heart, biblically, is the control center of the person. Not the emotional center of the person, the entire control center of the person. That's how the Bible uses the word heart. So if we think about it this way, Jesus, only this time, he's describing his heart. He's not saying what he's not saying. Don't read it this way. I think I've been reading it this way for so long. The emotional side of me is gentle and lowly. What he's not saying is the soft spot, the soft spot in me is gentle with you. He's not saying, when my feelings start bubbling up in love for you, what's going to come out is gentle, gentleness and lowliness. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is the central command station, my heart, the engine that runs me, it's fueled, the gas for my heart is gentleness and lowliness. Written in my genetic code is gentleness and loneliness. This is who I am at my core. So I ask again, what are your first impressions? What are your impressions about Jesus? Do you actually think of him as being gentle? Or do you have different thoughts about him in your mind? Is there an impression of him that's maybe inaccurate, that's stuck? Listen to what Ortland says here. If we don't know Jesus as gentle and lowly, supremely and centrally, we don't know him at all. Because he said, That's what his heart is. If I knew my wife is, as she is, five foot four inches, ESFP, Wheaton grad, math major, mother of five, grew up in Connecticut, but I didn't know her heart, you could justly say to me that I don't know my wife at all. I only know her at the bare surface level, the way I know Elon Musk by reading his Wikipedia page. What I'm not saying to you is that we need to integrate Matthew 11:29, gentle and lowly Christ, into our pre-existing view of Jesus. I'm saying all else we know about him emanates from that nuclear core. So like I said at the beginning, some of us this is only a really nice reminder. You've been walking with Jesus and enjoying the fact that your God, like from the central, like, Core of his being is gentleness and lowliness and humility that pours out of him. And if that's you, and this isn't necessarily like new to you, what I want to do is grab your attention and turn off the autopilot and for you to hear this with brand new ears. To be hit by this just thought that like that the God of the universe like would love you in that way as if it were the first time to rejoice in, the Jesus, in Jesus Christ who is gentle and lowly. And the other half of us, we need to re- reconfigure the way that we see him. 
We need to dig up a lot of false impressions that have stuck and cemented over the years. I kind of think about our hearts as like this, this road that's just full of potholes everywhere. And the, you know, the dump trucks got to come up, pour out all the asphalt. We need to pave over all that brand new and fresh. And you're in that camp if, if this is you. If you think of Jesus like a police officer, someone you fear is going to catch you breaking the rules. Or maybe you think of Jesus as the weary therapist, someone who's sick of hearing your complaints and wants you to hurry up and get your crap together. This is you if you think of Jesus as the impatient personal trainer, someone who's frustrated at your lack of growth and improvement and wants to see results faster. Or maybe an angry school teacher taking tally of all your mistakes and is going to give you a grade. Or a distant and cold deity Someone who is far separated from you and doesn't care. Jesus is none of those things. He's not the police officer. He's the innocent victim, sentenced to death in the stead of the real transgressors. Jesus is not a bad therapist who's sick of listening to your pain. He's the healer who takes the pain onto himself for your very good and for your healing. Jesus is not an impatient personal trainer. He's your good shepherd who leads you to green pastures and still waters. Jesus is not a greater, an angry school teacher. He wraps his perfect righteousness onto you regardless in spite of your bad performance. Jesus is not a distant deity. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is our gentle and lowly Savior. So here's our challenge for this morning and for faith, for your life. If you have a false impression stuck in your mind about who Jesus is, let's start listening to what he says about himself instead of filling in the blank of what, we, what impressions we have of him. Listen to him say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. See, we can listen to what he says, but what I hope that we're doing one million, two million, one billion times in our walk of faith is that we look at what he does too. We look at the cross. Because if gentleness and lowliness were ever proved to you, it's in the suffering Savior dying on the cross in our place. See, gentleness comes out there, doesn't it? In Jesus' trial, what does he do? He silently endures an unjust trial and punishment. He doesn't fight back. And then our king, the king of the universe, he's so lowly that he gives up his throne so that his chosen creation can can be seated beside it in eternity. He gives up his life so that you and I would never lose ours. This is Jesus, and this is what he says and what he has shown us in his loving sacrifice. This is why the gospel has changed the world and all of history forever. Because the one and true and living God chooses to be gentle and lowly with a broken and far, like super imperfect creation. So let's stop thinking things about him and let's start listening to him, what he says about himself. 
And then cornerstone, here's the harder part. I want to challenge us as a church to start growing to be like him. In your discipleship journey with Jesus, do you find yourself becoming a gentler and more lowly person? What are some areas in your life today where you've actually become more judgmental or hardened, maybe self-righteous or unforgiving, maybe proud, harsh, rigid, unapproachable? What people in your life right now need to receive more gentleness and lowliness, humility from you? What relationship in life would benefit so much if we were to only become more like him and exhibited a greater gentleness and lowliness? How could our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces be transformed by Cornerstone Church's passionate commitment to becoming more like the Savior that we so often sing about and the one that we follow? Certainly, What the gospel does inside of the heart and the life of the sinner is that the God who is perfect and with all of our wrongdoing and failures and sin and all the ways that we've wronged him, if he can be gentle and lowly with me, couldn't I do the same thing with people in my life whose transgressions are far less and far less important than the way that I've wronged him? Let's start listening to what he says Let's start correcting our beliefs about him to be what they truly, what, who he truly is. And let's start becoming more like him. Let's know him for who he truly is and then emulate him exactly as he is. I'm going to read this passage one last time in closing. Hear the word of the Lord. If, this, if, if you have a Bible, this is in red. This is red. Jesus himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, I think so many of us have had not just these um, false impressions of you, but some of us have lived decades of using our life experiences as proofs to secure that false impression more and more and more. And so we need a lot of your surgical work inside of us to help us see you for who you truly are. We need you, Holy Spirit, to soften our hearts, the ground of it, and till it, and and make it new again, and in line with who our Savior truly is within his heart. So Lord, for those in this room who have experienced that and known that deep within them, I rejoice in, in that ministry that you have done that work of grace and of mercy that you've done in their hearts. And I pray 
that if we've been coasting on autopilot, that you would shut it off. And then it would be like every morning when we wake up, that to say that your mercies are new every morning, that it really would be fresh and deep within us and moving. And for others of us who've really identified you more of a, of a judge or a police officer or an angry teacher or any of the above more than a gentle savior, I pray for those friends. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to see you clearly and accurately, perfectly, just the way that you are. And I pray that you would just bring peace to their souls. And Lord, right now, I mean, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. It's been since day one, but it's certainly true today, too, that this world could use a lot more people like you. And so as the church of Christ, as Christians, as followers and disciples of Jesus, Lord, I pray for Cornerstone to be more gentle and to be more lowly. I pray that we would start emulating you, that we would be little mini Jesuses, and that we would grow more and more into your likeness with each day that passes in our lives. I pray that this world would be transformed by our Christ-likeness. I pray that our friends and family would be loved and challenged even and encouraged and lifted up and see you for who you are through our witness, through our character, through our actions and our words. And I pray for your goodness that is always and persistently running after us, that it would chase after those in our lives because we follow in your footsteps. And so we thank you for this good word. We pray that it would have brought light to our souls. And I pray that we would be able to see you for who you truly are more and more with each day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.